You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy, and this is my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I hang out with fellow musicians and industry folk, and we talk about their lives, their music, their projects, and most importantly, craft beer. Heavy Montreal weekend is upon us, and as I mentioned last week, I am going to be at Heavy Montreal for the first time as a media. I've played it twice before, but this time around, I'm going to be on the other side of the mic, and I'm going to be interviewing, uh, hopefully, a whole bunch of artists. I have some uh, interviews which uh, have been confirmed, and I have others that are still up in the air, so I'm not going to announce anything, because uh, as with all things, I do not like to count my chicks before they hatch. So I'm going to keep uh, my cards close to my chest, and I'm going to be happy with what I got, and uh, super appreciative of what I end up with at the end. I'm just stoked to be there, to be a part of it, that the podcast has grown to this level in such a short period of time. And that's uh, thanks to all of you listeners who are making Vox and Hops what it is. Today I have a special episode, uh, something that uh, a lot of people worked on behind the scenes to make happen. And uh, I'm very proud that this happened. I have to give a huge, huge shout out to the following people for making this uh, podcast episode a reality. Uh, Number one and foremost is a Vox and Hops alumni, Mr. J.F. Michaud. Huge, huge thank you to you. I also have to give a big shout out to Lisa Lee and Daniel Lima for helping make this podcast run as smoothly as it did. And to my Vox and Hops' producer, acting behind the scenes, Mrs. Jessica Buckingham. I also have to give a huge shout out to longtime friend, also another Vox and Hops alumni, Mr. Chris Kells, who was there getting some video footage of this interview. A huge thanks to Molson for hooking us up with all the beers for this show. Really, really appreciated it. This podcast would not have happened without all of you people pushing it and uh, organizing it seriously while I was in Asia and on the other side of the world and in a different total mindset and time frame. So a huge, huge thank you. And I really, really appreciate all of your hard work for making this episode become what it is. Today on the podcast, I'm with Nick Farkas, who is one of the most important and influential promoters from Montreal. I am very honored to present this episode, episode number 43, Vox and Hops, with Nick Farkas from Heavy Montreal. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. What's up, everybody? Today I'm with Nick Farkas from Eventco, the man behind Heavy MTL. The man behind the team behind Heavy MTL. (laughs) (laughs) Very specific. I like it. Well, there's a lot of people that work on the festival. I do not want to take credit for it. Uh, I appreciate you taking time because Heavy Montreal is next week. It is correct. The grind is here. Grind has begun. Uh, Tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Who are you? How did you get into this crazy game of promoting concerts? Um, I am a concert promoter living in Montreal, obviously, and uh, I got into this business basically promoting, you know, punk rock shows and metal shows in the late 80s. Um, that tells you how long I've been doing this. Well, I didn't do it the entire time, but, uh, basically, you know, my buddy was like, we wanted all these bands that we wanted to see weren't coming to Montreal. So he started randomly basically calling up managers and agents and finding the bands. It was before the internet. So there was no way to look them up. So it was much more a DIY approach to things and then convincing them to come and play. And, uh, 
you know, we did it for fun. I was in college. I was going to, you know, I was a bike messenger and it was just like something that we were doing. It was like, we love punk rock and we love metal and we were into it. So we, we just did that for fun. Never, ever, 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 ever. I cannot stress how never, ever, ever I thought I would make a living doing it. But, uh, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. My great, if you love music and, uh, you like working hard, it's a, uh, it's a great life. That's insane. I can't imagine the hustle that I had to take to go out and contact these managers. No internet, no, you know, just connections with people hunting the hustle. How to, how to talk about that. Let's see. About I mean, in the beginning, you know, when he was, when we really started, that was it. And some of the bands had agents and, you know, some were easier to track down. But at first it was really like, he was just like, Glenn was just calling them up and being like, uh, trying to find a band through the label or we got a seven inch or 12 inch or somebody got him record somehow. And then it was like, there was a contact on the back and figuring it out. And then, you know, it was literally hustle and finding out what worked too at the time, like booking metal bands and booking punk rock bands. You know, we had a great, uh, we had some great guys at Cargo Records back in the day who would like, you know, like, oh my God, you gotta, you gotta get on this, you know, do DSI records blowing up and like, we're like, oh really? And then we, you know, contact them and they come in and sell out wherever, wherever we were doing it at the time. So we had like back in the day, like your contacts were, you know, I'd call for like the indie rock stuff that we were doing too. I'd like call the guys at Loblick Records and we'd call the guys at Rock on Stock for metal and we'd call the guys for, you know, all the different record stores to say, hey, is this actually moving units? Is this like, do you think it would work if we brought it to town? And that was really, you know, that was how you found about, about stuff. You found out about stuff from, you know, bands coming to town and telling you about bands from their cities. It was really, really, really organic. And uh, it led to, you know, you know, some relationships that we've had for, for, you know, 25 years and stuff. So it's really cool. And to come from that to the point where we're at now where, you know, everything is accessible. And, you know, I think of some crazy band that I hadn't thought of, you know, Padge, uh, Padge Williams, who's our partner, one of our partners on 77. And I started the business with him and he's constantly bringing up, he's like, remember, you know, say a band's name. And I'm like, like so vaguely, like there's some <laughs> obscure, you know, uh, uh, straight edge band from Seattle. And I'm like, uh, and then I'd look it up and you'll actually find music, right? You'll find, cause there's music. Everything is on the internet. And, uh, so it's fun to like, you relive some of these bands that, that I hadn't thought of. And we just did an interview the other night together and he's bringing up bands. And I'm like, how do you remember this stuff? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> he's just got this catalog, catalogic memory for, for, for stuff that we did when we were in our early twenties. What would be that first big show? that you had the inkling that, oh, this could be a future? I think the first big show for us, like we did a ton of, you know, it was when, like when we were doing for front in the eighties, we were like literally, you know, doing everything from the marketing to the, the ticketing to, you know, thumping gear to, you know, it was everything. So you did it all. And you know, I remember doing a bunch of shows like, you know, we do, it was crazy. Cause we do like, I remember doing like a DRI corrosion of conformity show, and that like sold out. We were like, oh, we're, this is amazing. And then the next show we did, and like, we sold like seven tickets and then we like lost all the money. And it was a constantly a battle of ups know, and downs, ups and downs. Like you're making money, then you're losing money. But I think like we formed uh, Greenland, which is still going to this day in the early like 90, 92, 93, we kind of started getting back into, 
you know, I'd been managing a bike store and everybody was kind of doing their thing. And, uh, like, Alice, we should take another shot at this. It'd be fun just to try to, you know, do it for fun again. And then I think we had a great run where we had, uh, you know, bad religion played the metropolis at the time and sold out. We did a, you know, smashing pumpkin show at the spectrum that sold out. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, we actually, it appears like we know what we're doing. And then of course, metal and punk were, were our strong, you know, what we knew the most. So that was what we were really booking. What would be a venue that you miss the most from back in the day? Oh my God, it's not. There's not even a day I don't go by. I mean, whenever I go down St. Catherine Street, I just think of the Spectrum and I think of what a tragedy that that place isn't there anymore. For people that don't know it, it was like the 1,200 cap capacity uh, room on St. Catherine and, and Blurry, and the, just legendary. Like the bands that you know that we did there and that played there before us, obviously. And it was called Club Montréal when I was really younger. And uh, Club Montréal was 18 and over, and we'd, like, one of my buddies, his older brother worked security there, so he'd sneak us in the back door for shows and stuff, and it was just, like, it was, for us to even do a show there the first time was, like, I can't believe it. And uh, I think that's definitely the venue I miss the most. And we did a ton of stuff, like, nostalgically, like, there were some craptastic, horrible venues that we used <laughs> back in the day. But, uh, you know, we did... There was this place called the Rising Sun, which was right next to the Spectrum, and it was Dudu Boissel, who was like this great jazz promoter who'd been around since the 50s, and he had the Dudu's Rising Sun, and when jazz, I guess, wasn't selling as well, they agreed to sell, let us do punk rock and metal shows there. <laughs> I remember doing like Henry Rollins' spoken word in the upstairs part with like 50 kids sitting on the floor. Unbelievable. And a, and a rat ran by, and I was like, <laughs> this isn't happening, and... uh so the rising side I missed just because it was just a hilarious place and good on the subject of drinking. It was one of those places that would have like a menu of drinks. Mm. And for us, it was like we were used this to hang classy. Out. We were yeah. used to yeah. hang out in taverns and pubs and, you know, beer. And that was it. And this place had like, you know, it all ended. And this is so hilarious because it ended. The, the last thing on the menu was called Thunder of the Gods. And... uh like you would, we would literally try to drink the menu and we, no one ever, like we could never, we get to thunder of the gods and thunder of the gods. I don't even remember what was in it, but it was like five kinds of alcohol in a bucket. What, whatever was left. Whatever was yeah. left. And it was like, and uh, I remember my friend Monk, who's, who's, who's still working in the industry and he was like toured around the world. He was a guitar tech and Monk came home one night when we all shared an apartment and uh, he's like, I drank Thunder of the Gods. <laughs> and we're like, and we're, everyone's like, no way. And there's no way you drank the whole menu and Thunder of the Gods. And then he proceeded to get very sick. But it was uh, so you had this whole mythology of this place that was kind of a legendary jazz haunt. And then all of a sudden we're doing, you know, all kinds of crazy punk rock stuff there and it was uh it was fun and back in the day like you really did shows wherever anybody would let you and we did you know i remember doing uh we did uh suicidal tendencies uh in like i think it was the berry church or laurier church really like, and, yeah in a basement and had like 120 people show up that's and insane it was uh you know it was that kind of spirit of diy thing that we you would really do um you do, do anything to put on a show and trying to find a space. And then as soon as someone found a space, somebody else would book a show there and screw it up and yes, then yes, not do yes. a good job. So you're constantly going from place to place that really, there was like a recreotech or really Roulant and blurry that we did the dead Kennedys at at one point. And then Fufun kind of came back into being for us. It was like the big go-to venue in the, there were early nineties. Like it was the place that would actually let like, people wanted to go to. So for a long time, there was no, you know, there was just, there wasn't that many venues and the Montreal scene has gone through periods where, 
you know, there's this place on San Laurent called Woodstock that we did a bunch of stuff at and uh, it's long gone, but it's, you know, all these places that were purple haze that, you know, we were trying to any desperately to find a place. Um, There's a place on Mayor Street called uh, Backstreet. Oh my God. We did some shows there and it was, you know, so it was like there was very much the punk rock scene and the metal scene back then. There was a scene and it was, metal was bigger. Punk was much smaller. So then when the crossover bands really started to happen, like, you know the DRIs and 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 acts like that that really for us were like wow this is just like speeded up punk rock and, mm-hmm. it's, and it all agro punk stu- rock. yeah exactly it all started to make sense and then we're, we moved into like a much more metal direction doing a lot of uh, you know the death metal stuff in the beginning we did a ton of that until that Steph came along and then yep, shout Steph, out shout out to Steph BCA. shout out to yep, Steph because yep. he kicked our asses when it came to uh, booking you know the death metal the dark stuff like he was just so into it a resident at the medley exactly and he was you know we were like who is this kid like who's this guy bidding on the shows that we've always done and he's just so passionate about it that uh you know eventually we're just like we can't you know we're not into it as much as he was and like and when you're in a genre of music that intensely and you do a good job you know so we still picked up the shows that we you know that we had relationships with agents and stuff and we're still doing a lot of those bands to this day but he uh he literally was the, I mean, he took that scene and took it into a different, different direction. We were selling out Spectrum shows and MTELUS, but when he started doing like his run at the medley, it was when you really saw. And then I guess uh, after that would be Dave Boucher came along. That's right. Shout started, out to Dave. Yeah, shout out to Dave. Extensive. And Dave kind of did the same thing. And, you know, what I learned as a promoter really early on, I remember going to south by southwest in the early 90s and this even at the time like seth Hurwitz, who was from the 930 club he got up on he did this uh he was speaking at a panel and some kid gets up and he's like i can't get shows i can't I, no one will sell me any shows and he's literally like he's like this is what you gotta do you gotta find your niche absolutely and then do it which and is then, what steph did exactly you find your niche and either you can grow from that niche or you just have that niche and you live in that niche forever and you become there's that nothing, guy you become that guy and there's nothing wrong with it and you know we took the niche that we had and expanded it into booking every single kind of music possible and doing all kinds of different festivals and different styles of music but you know that scene at the time there was guys like Steph all over the place and uh, we were the guys like Steph before Steph and <laughs> we, we came you know we took that niche and turned it into something else and uh, it was really you know it was a hilarious time to be to, to be in the scene and just you know watching this whole thing grow and happen it was a lot of fun Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about beer. Vox That's and Hops is a, a lot about beer. I really like craft beer, which I is why I have well. a podcast about it, that craft seems, beer and that metal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good fit. Before us, we have the craft beers, which will be available at this year's Heavy Montreal. This year, we got some Tour de Diable, which is back. That was there last year. We have the Griffin Town, the IPA La Mer from Brassard de Montréal, and the Double IPA, which I've actually never seen before in a can, so I'm excited to try that one. I will let you choose the one that we will drink during the rest of the interview. I think I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... Uh, let's go with La Pitoune. Excellent. La Pitoune is from uh, Le Tour du Diable, which is... Uh, and La Pitoune is a nice, soft, easy drink. I'm going to open it up. It's a great it's a great beer, and it's a great brewery, and it's a great story. And he does... The, the owner is very into punk rock as well. And he does little shows at the brewery in Shawinigan, and... Uh, Cheers. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. It's a very nice, drinkable beer. Smooth... It's got a soft hay color, nice, very clear white head. 
I was very happy last year when I found the craft beer garden in the Yolite section. I was there with my guitarist, Christian Donaldson from Cryptopsy, and uh, we honestly did not go very far <laughs> from that little kiosk. A lot of people stayed there. <laughs> that area was really cool, actually. It was very cool. Yeah. yeah. Great food and uh, very good beer. Yep. You were saying a story before we started recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was in line. I saw that lineup and, you know, the craft beer thing was super popular at Heavy. And uh, I walked in and I'm like, I want to get a beer. And uh, there's a huge lineup. And I was like, oh, man, this we, we got to get more points of sale. We got to, you know, they got to speed up this process because people aren't going to wait, in, you know, 20, 30 people deep for the entire day. So I took a picture of the lineup and then this guy comes up to me and he's like, uh, he's like, uh, who do you work for? Avenco or Molson? And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> like, what? I'm taking a picture of the lineup. <laughs> he's like. He's like, because uh, I work for Truth's Job and uh, he's like, the only person that would take a picture of a lineup is either the promoter or the beer company. So I thought that was really funny. And then we started talking and, uh, you know, got his whole story about how it all started and how excited he was to be part of, you know, big events like this. And it's super cool. And I think Molson, you know, they've, they've, the good thing about working with a giant brewery like that is that they, they have so many craft beers now. Like they are, mm-hmm. they are literally, you know, if you go on their website, there's, I can't even count how many craft beers they have. So they have this great, expansive uh, reach into the craft beer world where they can, you know, curate it and bring, you know, different styles and different kinds of beers and, you know, try to have something for everybody. And it's also black label at, at, uh, at heavy, I'm sorry. at heavy, which is funny. Cause I, it's one of the, it was one of the, it was like every, back in the day, there was like 50 was the, the skinhead beer and really, uh, yeah, it was, I weird. Know it was that. a weird yeah. thing in our neighborhood anyways. And, uh, you black know, black label. label was really like the cool hipster. Really? That's like, so yeah, funny. It the was pap, like the paps of, of, of the, the paps of, of, the <laughs> of the day. And it was literally like, it was what everybody who was super cool. That's was so drinking. funny. So, so it was funny, funny that they came back with black label, which I hadn't seen you know, it was, was a big beer when I was growing up, but it never and that, it made a resurgence. And I remember that it was had a popularity at like for fun and stuff. Like there mm-hmm. was a, there's definitely the, the drinkers of Black Label were, were united. How important was it for you to have craft beer as an option at your festivals? Oh my God. It's, uh, it's so important. And, and because for so long we didn't have it and uh, like we'd, we'd been working with, you know, the bigger breweries for, you know, we're a big company and that's just kind of the way we've always gone. And there's, a, um, so when we sat down with the Molson guys and they're like, wow, we're trying to put this whole food area together. And they were like super stoked. They're like, that's great. We can, you know, we'll get some, we'll get some of the craft beers in there and we'll have the good food, good, you know, we'll have the craft beers in the, in the good food area. And then it's going to be an, well, we figured it'd be a draw for people that, you know, want to have something a little bit different. And, uh, it worked out super well last year. Like people were really, really excited about having the opportunity to, and it's in a nice area too. Last year, it was really nice in the yeah, so tree like, area, yeah, forest area. So you're almost. trying to like create a vibe that it's like, okay, you're out there moshing, you're, you know, doing whatever you got to do. You're in the hot sun you want to chill for a little bit, you come over and there's a nice place to chill out and, you know, have a more relaxing type of beer than a beer that you're just going to chuck. So, yes. uh, so it was really, it was really fun and it was fun to work with them, you know, and like bringing the true to job people and, you know, bringing in Creamore and stuff like that was, uh, it was a huge hit. Have you guys ever considered brewing or doing like a collaboration beer for your festivals? Thought about it, but it's only, it's like, it's pretty recent. Pretty recent, like you know, I would love to do that. Like that would just be an amazing. You know, I think it'd be a heavy just, beer would be so. It doesn't so even cool. just have to be the heavy beer. It could just be your festival beer. 
Yeah. For all the fests. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Through this, because I'm sure you have because the Because then you'd sponsors. have the volume, too, to, to yes. actually make it more worthwhile. If huh. I would suggest a style for this summer, only because as I know what the trends are, I would say a session New England IPA. But that would be only for this summer. It doesn't matter because I don't, I don't know if it'd still be a hit next year. Yeah, right I don't think right we'll now. get it done for this year, but no, you, you no, let me know not. what's hot next year. And then I will, we'll, yeah. Uh, and then we'll... Uh, I'd love to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's great. It's, <laughs> I was just in New England for a festival, actually. It was a little more... It was a country... I mean, it wasn't a country festival. It's at Van Wilco. So yes, of course. My, yes. my family. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, drank a lot of craft beers there. Yes. Oh, let's talk about some of that. What beers did you drink? Uh, oh what kind God. of beers do you drink when you go out to drink a craft beer? You know, generally something like this world of, you know, it's... I'm not... Especially like when you're in a hot, sunny day, like drinking something super heavy. Not really my thing. So I generally look for more of a... You know, something lighter, something that isn't going to be, you know, I like, I like a Guinness. I like a, I like a darker beer too, but it's not something that I'm generally going to drink. Look for at a festival. I want to generally get something that I can drink two or three of or, you know, and feel not like I'm going to fall asleep. So it's, (laughs) it's a challenge. And sometimes, you know, like New England is the land of IPAs and like a lot of like really, you know, stronger. Yeah, they've changed. They've changed the game and yeah. IPAs right now. Yeah, so yeah. it's a different. It's a different. It's a different world. Um, so finding something that I, you know, I'll, I'll experiment. I really like to try, especially when you're in. For some reason, in the states, Americans have so many choices and the state volume to state, of right? And like craft from, breweries, is you know, insane. Vermont, like yes. Vermont, you know, Mad Hat or whatever. Um, Hill Farmstead. Exactly. There's so Alchemist. many. So you're yeah. like sitting there, you're in the stores and you're like going, ah, what, 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 what do I get? And then. <laughs> That's where you speak to the, the local clerk. Exactly. Yeah. And then also like we, I spent a couple of weeks in Cape Cod after the festivals are over and they have a ton of different craft brewers. So it's like you're in the, trying to figure out what to get. And like my, my brother-in-law is also a chef. He'll like, I'll come, I'll come in and there'll be like nine different kinds of beers and all kinds of different stuff. And the, I've got to be honest, the IPA trend is kind of, I'm sort of over it. I hate to say it. What part of the IPAs is it? Do you not enjoy? I, I think it's just like, um, I think as I age, I'm looking for a more, an easier drinking beer. And I think the IPAs, like I, like I can, I'll enjoy one, but it's not a, it's not something that I can, that I find after one beer that I'm, I'm really enjoying as much so you know I'll probably go loggers more than mm-hmm. uh especially in the summer winter it's a bit more of a winter's a bit more of a craft shoot that's a stout game it's a stout game yes. in the winter what would be Let's your favorite local craft brewery i mean honestly right now i'd say these guys from schwinnigan it's like a uh, job is really the only and i like cream a lot too and i like bose bose is uh bose is a total, you know, they make weird beers. They make I enjoy weird them. beers. I enjoy them, but they're always a little bit out there and strange, and with some weird root in it. Yeah, no, but they've got some some more traditional stuff too that I, I really like. Um, I think, you know, I definitely think those would be the three that I would gravitate towards the most right now. And I, I'm the, you know, since meeting the for the meeting, you know, Isaac and the Trudy Job people, like it was when you know somebody who makes beer all of a sudden it brings you closer and you want to try what they're doing. So it's like, I want to see what they were, you know, they got so many weird beers too mm-hmm. that you want to try them and see, you know, the quatre, the, the apocalypse is, yes. The is, fourth uh, surface of the apocalypse. Fourth surface so. is, uh, and Griffintown also is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm close to Griffin. We're all like, we're, we're right near Griffintown right now. So it's always <laughs> it's a I sense like, of home. Yeah. And I like this, you know, I like supporting the local, local breweries and I don't drink as much beer as I used to, but I still, uh, I still like to partake now and again. How excited are you to get back to the new site? 
the old site, the new revamped site of Heavy Montreal. It's funny because we've been trying to figure out what to call it. It's like I keep going the new site, the new old site, the old, the newly, <laughs> the newly renovated old site is what I've kind of fallen it's, as the most descriptive term. I'm super excited. We loved, you know, especially for Heavy, you know, the setup that we had the last couple of years was super cool. Um, but the familiarity of the old, of the old site, the ease of like it's right next to the subway yes it's just it's the layouts were you know we've been there for 10 years more than 10 years so um going back to our roots is a lot of fun it's going to be different this year because we literally you know we're using the site that we use for oceaga for all our festivals on the main field so to try to the biggest challenge for the production guys and the team is to get you know, to take, you know, there's 40, 50,000 people for Oshaga, but there's going to be 20 for 70, for heavy to make it and maybe feel 10 for yeah. 77. So it's like, how do you make it feel intimate? How do you make it feel cool? How do you make it feel like you're not, you know, 20,000 people on a site Short. for 60, yeah, yeah. right? So that's really the big challenge. Fortunately, the site is, we've, you know, we've been out there, I'm going out there tomorrow we got some stages going up and stuff and I want to just get another firsthand visit, but it's really, uh, it's beautiful, you know, the city skyline, uh, mm-hmm. you know, instead of being rocks and gravel and yeah. crap like it was before, it's now, uh, you know, it's this kind of like hard-packed tennis court kind of sandy, oh, yeah. sandy vibe to it. Sandy. I'm excited. And it's yeah. got some roads through it so that you can drive trucks and not destroy everything. So uh, I think the city has done a phenomenal job. I'm very excited. And I think it's, uh, you know, honestly, people don't realize it, but it's one of the nicest sites in North America for festivals, I believe. Like it's, you know... On the middle, you're ten minutes from downtown by subway. In the middle of the St. Lawrence River, it's spectacular. And the city, you know, the the tree line now. It's like you you're you're looking at the stage, and then you see the city and nighttime and the St. Lawrence rushing by. It's fantastic. The bands that show up too, like, you know, they're just blown away because what we've always tried to do is do a very European style festival where, you know, to us taking care of the artists is super important like we taking care of the fans and taking care of their artists we knew that if we built festivals where we were really focused on the fan and band experience that the fans would want to come back and the bands would want to come back and and the bands would talk to other bands exactly and it's word of mouth and and it costs more money to do it the way we do it and but we really believe in like the final you know the outcome is that you have a yuli garden where people can go do something that they wouldn't necessarily normally do at most metal normally do at most metal festivals and looking at wanting to be a very you know treating your crowd with respect and amazing sound and lights and we're lucky because you know the whole setup is there for three weeks so we're smart. able to build it's also a, very smart yeah, we're able to build a small city that we can transform into different styles of music and uh, it allows us to have you know the best production i think for any festival right beside in the, the city yeah. yeah and you're you're like the sound the lights the staging it's all like there, you don't get better sound and lights and staging than what we were able to offer. So the artists show up and I remember when the, with the new 750, like the big shout out to Montreal company stage line who uh, built one of the most impressive stages and I've ever like in the history of the world. And uh, they, you know, I mean, I've seen bands walk onto that stage for the first time and they're just like, Holy yeah. shit, this is amazing. And uh, to be able to offer that experience and that level of production and quality is is really important to us. I've played them all. I've played Wacken. I've played Hellfest. I've played with Full Force. I've played Brutal Assault. I've played Summer Breeze. 
and you guys are right up there, if not better than them. Honestly, oh, thank you so honestly. much. That's, always that's a pleasure because those are literally, you know, how fast and like walking is like those are the that's the you know the gold standard in the industry, and I think in North America. The, you know, it kind of comes from the warp Tour vibe and like the, it's more of a grungier. You think it's going to be makeshift. Huh? Yeah. And it's like, you know, Danny Wimmer's doing a spectacular job in the States with all his festivals. And, uh, but you know, it's generally because they're not there for three weekends, you know, they can't afford to do some of the things that we try to do and, uh, constantly like trying to reinvent the festival experience and trying to, you know, change, um, we don't want it. Never want it to be stagnant. We never want people to show up and say, "Oh, it's just the same old heavy." You know, we we've changed stage positions. I mean, practically every year since we started, changed sizes, changed uh, locations of things, just because it keeps it makes it interesting and it makes Fresh. people want to yeah. you know keep coming back. Going, well, what are they going to do this year? And sometimes it's 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 good, and sometimes it's not as well received, and then we adjust for the next year. So it's having an amazing production team that is able to to like look at those sorts of things and go, Meh, that didn't quite work. Let's tweak it for next year. Or let's try to, you know, figure out another way to make that work. And having super passionate people that love music and love what they do is really, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen without, without that, having that kind of team behind it. Let's talk about this year's festival. What sets are you looking most forward to? Oh my goodness. Um, obviously Slayer. Cause the last time they're going to play in Quebec and I've, I can't even count how many times I've seen Slayer, <laughs> but Slayer never disappoints. And, you know, I can only imagine how excited they're going to be to be playing, you know, their last show in Quebec outside, outside, it. you know, so it's going to be, it's going to be epic. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm an old school kind of guy. So, you know, I'm loving, I love hate breed, you know, clutch, you know, anthrax, uh, it's kind of, you know, steel Panther's a blast. I don't know if you've ever seen I have them. seen them. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's, we try to not take it entirely too seriously. But you well. absolutely shouldn't with that. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so it's like when trying to, you know, last year we had the ale storm and stuff and it's like, yes, yes. And, uh, good party band. It's great. And you know, galactic if, empire, if, galactic empire. Yeah. And if you want to do stuff, you know, if you're going to be out on a field for 11 hours, you need to mix it up a bit. And I think we've run afoul of the metal purists over the years because, uh, you know, we wanted to be more European and I lo- the stuff in you know, it's like we put Evanescence on this year and we were, you know, some people were grumbling about it. And some people are super excited about it. But then it. they got Summer Slaughter. So, yeah. So it's like you're looking at that going, you know, the purists are never going to be happy because they want to see everything that is exactly the style of music that they want to see. But that's not a festival. And that's not a festival. And that means that we can do it for another. We'll do it one more time. And, then, <laughs> you know, the three or four thousand people that want to go are going to go. But if you want to continue to do it the way we're doing it, you have to have an open tent. You have to be able to, you know, have some hardcore stuff in there and have some, you know, the whole advent of. Uh, I mean, having clutch on there and having stoner stuff that's, yeah. you know, like it's, it's super important. It's I mean, an umbrella. Gotta, Metal's a big umbrella. Yeah, and you've got to have, a lot you know, you've got to have your, you know, for the longest time as like active rock or whatever. People in Quebec were like, Oh, you know, we can't have that. And, and we kind of let ourselves be influenced by, I think that's the danger with social media is that you can let yourself be completely like think that you second guess yourself. The first year we had Iron Maiden and, and we had Motley Crue. And the Motley Crue didn't do as well. Really? Yeah. And the Iron Maiden day was huge. And from that point on, we're like, oh man, you know, maybe they're not into the, you know, the glammy kind of more eighties, nineties, I guess not eighties. Was that the eighties or nineties? Motley Crue would be like eighties into the nineties. Yeah. So, and it was like, 
And I'm like, well, that's weird that this doesn't work in Quebec. It should totally work. But we just didn't reach those people. And then we started doubting ourselves. And then from that point on, it's been like 10 years of like, okay. And then I think the last few years, we were just like, you know what? We're going to program the festival that we want. We're going to listen to the fans. And we're going to try to give a little bit of everything. You know, make it so that there's enough on there that you want to see. If you're, if you're really specific about your genre. And if there's something that we find polarizing, we're going to put something super heavy against it. Mm-hmm. So, like, the way we program it stage-wise, Jean-Francois Michaud is a, is a genius. Like, he puts all of this together. Shout out to JF. Lots Shout out to JF. Alumni. Let's drink, yeah. uh, let's drink to JF. And he totally deserves, like, the credit for, for so much of what's happened with Heavy over the last few years. And Peter DeHaye's marketing genius. Man behind, uh, also behind uh, our tremendously successful wrestling portion of the, of yes. the event. So yes, Peter's been pushing that forever. Green Phantom. And, and yeah, like Heavy Mania. And, you know, that's what I think a festival should be about because you should have, you know, when we first started doing it, once again, it's like people are like, what the fuck is this? Is wrestling? Uh, has no There's place. nothing more close to metal than wrestling. Yeah, no exactly. Yeah. And like beer, so, wrestling, metal. Beer, wrestling, metal, black clothing. You know, there's <laughs> like, there's a few staples there that are, that are incontournables, comme on dirait yes, en français. And uh, I think, you know, having all of that together in one place. And this year we have like a giant fountain to keep people cool. Like there's, we want it to be fun. We want people to bring their kids. We want it to be, I think the first year when I saw, I, I'm like, this has got to work because there was a, it was like a bunch of kids um, wearing, oh, what sure was it? It was like one of those 80s glam bands. It was like a bunch of like super hardcore metal kids wearing, they all had the same, they all had the same shirt. I forget what band it was that year. Rat. It was something like that. It was like something, and they were all like, like you know, like getting into That's it. That's your like, future. This is cool. yeah. And then seeing like, this granddad with his son and their kid. And it was like three generations of metal. That's what festivals are supposed to be. And then three generations of metal. And it's like three generations of punk rock on 77. And it's such a nice vibe. 77 especially was a super shock for me because when I thought, think back to punk rock, my early days, the kids were kids. We were all young. Everybody that went to shows was in their 18, 19, 20. Nobody else really, you know, and there was a slightly older crowd that may have been pushing, maybe pushing 30. (laughs) And then, to see like little kids coming to a punk rock or a metal festival with their dads and moms and you know everybody's just it's like a celebration of a style of music that everyone's like oh it's never going to last and you know it's never going to be around and no one's ever going to be able to put on a festival that people are going to go to and uh, it legitimized the whole thing for me it's like I like, love to see the camaraderie like you've been mm-hmm. like people are smiling and people are from all over the country and all over the world and they're just like we're all in this together this is fun and that's where i think you know along the way we kind of lost our way a few times and came back and tried a few things and like we had punk rock one year and like took so much abuse for that i'm like well why would we do that if people if the metal really metal kids really don't want to hear punk rock just make a separate day make a separate day and that's worked out super great for us so far and uh, i'm remember it's like uh, Marky Ramones on stage and like just watching people walk by the stage without even looking up. And I was yeah, like, this is a like, legend. I think this is a legend. <laughs> this is like, you know, it was Andrew WK singing. And I'm like, this is fucking cool. And like, there's a group of people in front of the stage, but there's thousands of people there and thousands of people just ignoring it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And at that moment, I was like, this is never going to work. Like, if you got them, they're playing Ramones songs, Andrew WK singing this isn't the same crowd. So, but then 
there are people that cross over because I love both. And there's a lot of people. And I remember talking to a disturbed agent who was in town. He's like, he grew up in New York. And he's like, it's like, dude, we fucking hated punk. Like we hated punk rock. We hated, you know, we were long hairs. They hated us. We had, you know, they were short. They had skinheads and stuff. And I was like, I was like, really? You didn't like punk rock at all? He's like, no, couldn't stand it. So that polarizing era, I mean, I think the crossover bands, you know, and all of the thrash stuff that came out after it was, was, a was, was limited to maybe not the entire world. And, uh, I always thought Montreal was different. I thought Quebec was different. I'm like the kids that go to these shows, obviously there's gotta be more crossover than that. But now that we do the weekend warrior pass where you can buy like the Friday mm-hmm. for 77 and heavy on the other two days, we still see, you know, good sales. Like people want to do all three. So there is definitely a crowd out there if we're doing all three. Um, which is awesome. So I know that there are people like me out there that like both the crossover, the crossover and, uh, love punk rock and, you know, it's, it's fun to see and it's fun to be able to put all of that together and to see the people that go to both. And, and it's, just, it's, it's just a blast. I mean, I love it. I Thank love doing it. That's amazing. Thank you so, so much for sitting down with me and drinking a nice beer. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. To Heavy Montreal. Hey, thank you all so much for listening right to the end. Uh, What a cool dude. I could have just kept going on forever and ever, but I know that Nick is uh, super busy with the festival coming up, and uh, he had to go. It was really cool. It was in this amazing secret bar for VIP events in the Bell Center, which is where our local hockey team plays, and all of the amazing, huge concerts happen. It was a a surreal day, surreal experience, and uh, I was uh, floating on a cloud after this episode, so I'm super stoked it happened. Coming up next week, I'm going to have my first of a whole bunch of interviews from Heavy Montreal. I am planning on dropping two episodes a week because uh, my interviews will be much shorter due to the structure and time frame of the way that the interviews are conducted on site at this year's Heavy Montreal. So I'm super stoked to share them all with you. I'm excited. I can't wait. I hope to see a bunch of you at Heavy Montreal. If you uh, know me, come say hi. Come drink a beer with me. Let's hang out. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope that you have a hangout with your friends, your loved ones. And most importantly, I hope you remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beers. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.